Welcome to the Retroomix Podcast. In this podcast, your host, Lori Amin, will interview published authors to chat about their work, journey to getting published, and their book recommendations. If you share a passion for books and are always looking for your next read, then join us. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the Retroomix Podcast. Hi, Laura. Nice to be here. So happy to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am uh, a full-time writer now, uh, although I started out my professional life as, uh, as a historian, as an academic, I thought I would end up being a college professor. Um, there weren't really any jobs, there still aren't if you want to teach British history, uh, those jobs are thin on the ground, so I ended up being an editor for years. And then when I was at home when with my kids when they were really little, I found myself wanting to do something more, something different. And I, it, it took me a long time and I only had, you know, a few minutes here and there for, I guess it was about a year and a bit. It took me to write it uh, in kind of stolen moments when the kids were sleeping. And so that was uh, coming up uh, 14 years ago. And, and now I get to say, this is, this is my gig. This is my full-time job and it's wonderful. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I live in Toronto. I'm a Canadian, uh, hence the, the funny accent. And, uh, and you'll notice if I have to uh, say the final uh, letter in the alphabet out loud, I'm going to say Z rather than Z. That's a giveaway every time. <laughs> I love this. So did you always wanted to marry your writing process with historical fiction? Or was it something that you just, that just like, I, you know, I, I, it took me a long time to figure out that I wanted to write fiction. Uh, you know, I'd always, uh, as, as an academic, you, you know, you end up having to write very dry, dull, mm -hmm. uh, you know, nonfiction. Um, and I hadn't done much of that either for years because I'd been working mostly as an editor. I'd been fixing other people's writing, but not concentrating on, on my own. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, when I started writing, it was always, always, always historical fiction. I just, I've never had an interest in writing anything else for myself. Now I read widely and I love contemporary fiction. Mm -hmm. um, I love sci-fi. I mean, you, you name it, I'll read any genre. I, I don't love horror and that's not to diss it as a genre. It's just that I have one of those very, very, uh, overly sensitive kind of uh, uh, psyches that, that, you know, if I read a horror story, the minute I fall asleep, I'm back in it. And so cue the sleep disturbances for weeks. So I really, I can't, you know, anything that's even mildly scary, I unfortunately can't do. Um, but I, I, I love really most genres. Um, but the one that I want to write in is historical fiction. And I think that's just because I'm a history nerd and it, mm -hmm. it ticks all the boxes for me. Um, so all of the, the fun parts of teaching history I get to do mm -hmm. with thing, um, but I get to talk about the things and write about them. And really, I mean, it's the best I can imagine. There we go. So what was, so, so what was your journey to get that first book published? It was a long journey, uh, which is, you know, pretty typical of most people who start out. I had a background in publishing, so I knew the route that I was supposed to take. You know, I didn't make any of those those mistakes that are easy to make because, you know, it. it how do you really know until you're in that world? Mm -hmm. So I knew not to send an unsolicited manuscript off to an editor, for example. Mm -hmm. I knew that I needed to get a literary agent. Um, but the thing is, it's really hard 
to get a literary agent, especially mm-hmm. one who who is um, who's the real deal too. I mean, there are plenty of people out there masquerading as literary agents who are in mm-hmm. fact complete con artists, and you really do need to be very careful when you're sending your work uh, to somebody uh, with a view to them uh, signing you as as a as a as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I tried for, uh, so I finished my first book in about 2009 and, uh, and I, I sent it out to a number of literary agents um, and I basically didn't hear back from anyone. And the few people I heard back from said, well, you know, it's, it's set in World War One. Nobody's really interested in World War One historical fiction. Thanks, but no thanks. And so I gave up for a few years because it just, you know, and I had little kids and I was busy with other stuff and it, it was kind of depressing. Um, so I didn't persevere. Um, and then it was only a couple of years later that the show that was on TV in the UK came out and everyone was talking about it. And then it came to the States on PBS. And I think you've guessed that it was Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. And that show went just you know, it, it just went big. Mm-hmm. And one of my closest friends uh, who knew, you know, she'd read my manuscript, she loved it, she'd been as disappointed as I was when I couldn't get it published or couldn't find a, an agent in the first place. She pestered me, to be honest, she just was relentless and said, you have to submit this again. Just, just mm-hmm. Jen, just go for it. And so I did um, to a different group of literary agents and this time it was like night and day pretty much everyone got back to me right away mm-hmm. um, everyone was super enthusiastic and it was you know the book itself had not changed mm-hmm. the market had changed mm-hmm. and all of a sudden everyone wanted these books about the first world war and and you know the edwardian period and i had one that was ready to go um and because of that timing when it was published it was one of the first uh books you know, works of historical fiction, uh, written kind of uh, with a, a, a female reader in mind, mm-hmm. uh, with a heroine, First World War, that was about a woman. And it it just did, it surpassed all expectations, including mine. I'd hoped I would sell like maybe mm-hmm. a few thousand copies. And it just kept selling and selling and selling. And now it's in, I think it's a 19th or 20th edition. It, it's just... I, it almost actually feels like it's a story that it can't be true. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, here I am, you know, 10, 11 years later, and uh, I still can't believe that it's true. But, it, it, you know, I, I pitch myself every morning. Uh, I feel so lucky to do this work. Mm, I love this story. I love the fact that, you know, you didn't give up. The market changes. And so your book becomes a hot commodity. Like it's, it's interesting yeah. how, you know, little things can make a big impact. Like a TV show can become kind of like a boom of things, like, you know? Yeah. But- yeah. Yeah. And, and that said, I always, when I, when I've taught writing courses, when I, I speak to aspiring writers, I always want to encourage people to all of that being true. Don't chase after what you think is the hot thing. Mm-hmm. Don't kind of, tailor what you're writing with the view to, well, maybe this is what will sell. I think the only uh, judgment you can use when you're writing a book is, is this something that I, I love writing myself? I love reading about it. Is reading. Uh, ultimately, that's how I assess every one of my books. As I'm writing it, 
as I'm finishing it, I ask myself, is this a book that my friends in my book club would love to read? And if I can honestly answer yes, then I think I've done a, an okay job. Uh, of, of course, pending approval of my editor. <laughs> Everything pen is pending her approval. So let's talk about historical fiction. And so thinking about you have run different different time periods. Um, what does the research process looks like for you? You know, it's it doesn't really deviate from what I learned as a graduate student. Uh, I, I went to Oxford. I have a, what they call a DPhil. And in mm -hmm. North America, we call it PhD. Um, and it's a, it's a research degree. There's no teaching involved. Uh, you just sit and you write a uh, hundred thousand word uh, thesis over the course of how many years, it, however many years it takes you. And so I learned there how to dig deep. And I think of it in some ways as almost like being a, an archaeologist, right? And I'm peeling back the layers. Mm -hmm. um, and I start first with just general histories that other people have written just to acquaint myself with the, uh, the broader subject. Mm -hmm. And then I go to specialist histories. Um, so I might read about um, particular uh, groups of people. I might read about political movements. I might read about the history of a city or the history of, um, uh, uh, say, just the history of, of, of fashion in a particular period if I want to learn about what people were wearing, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But the whole time I'm digging, I'm trying to go deeper and deeper. Uh, and, and for me, the bedrock, or, or how should I put it, the, 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 the layer that where, where all, the, all of the, the treasures are found is uh, anything that is what you would call uh, formally a, a primary source. So a primary source is a, for, you know, it's, it's closest to the direct voice of the people who lived in a period. Um, and it's the closest you can get to, to jumping in a time machine and going back to that particular time, especially if it's a time that's uh, remote enough that nobody is still alive who, 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 who experienced it. Mm -hmm. um, and that would be the case, for example, with the First World War today. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to know is what people were thinking at the time. Uh, what were their opinions? What were their thoughts? Uh, what were the things that influenced them? And so there I get a little unconventional uh, compared to maybe your kind of stuffy old-fashioned historian, because I'm really interested in reading things like um, magazines, mm -hmm. uh, newspapers, and not newspapers. Uh, the Daily Telegraph, but news ordinary people read, right? And which are very different typically. Um, I also am interested in what were the movies they were watching if it's a period when, you know, cinema existed. Uh, what were the books they were reading? Again, not high-minded stuff, but ordinary books that regular people read, right? The, the you know, the, the, the paperbacks that that everyone was reading at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so all of those things, plus people's memoirs and, and diaries, that's where I build up a picture of what life was like in the past. And if I'm really lucky, and it's, um, and since I write about uh, the 20th century, there's almost always uh, ways of, of finding taped interviews with people, even if the interviews were done a while ago, they're, they're still gold mines. Mm -hmm. uh, I may not have been asking the questions, but if I'm lucky, the person who is answering, who is asking the questions, asked uh, uh, questions that that uh, 
you know, provoke answers that I find, you know, that are interesting and useful to me. Um, so, you know, the the Imperial War Museum of all places in um, in London has thousands and thousands of hours of taped uh, recordings of interviews that were done starting in the 1960s with people who lived through the First World War and the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And there, there's, there's so there's so much there. I've really only kind of scraped the surface of their holdings. But every time I go and I listen to to what they have, much of which you can access online without ever going to London, mm-hmm. th- there's so much there. So that's kind of my approach. And, uh, um, and it, it's a little bit, un- it's not actually very unorthodox. I think a lot of people, that's the way they're doing their research now. When I was at Oxford in the early 1990s, it was considered a little unusual. And I there's sometimes some raised eyebrows, but I think it works. I, I want to know what, what ordinary people thought, felt, were interested in, what, their, what the shape of their ordinary day was like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I love reading historical, historical fiction, even historical romans, because it just brings you kind of like a different period. And then you have to think of all these logistics of like, what did they wear? Like, how did they transport? Like, you know, what did they read? And so I love like finding out the authors, like, you know, down the rabbit hole, yeah. what they had to go through to inform us of that. Oh, story. and I fall down many, many rabbit holes. It's a, it's a kind of a, a professional hazard uh, of, of losing an entire day to, to, to learning about something that, that really has no bearing on the, the work in progress and, and may not be something that, that I ever really need uh, to, to retain, but it's super interesting. <laughs> and, and that's how, that's how my brain works. And I've learned not to fight it. I love this. And so how, what was the source of inspiration for our darkest night? So for me, it was very personal. It is very personal. Uh, I'd been working on another book entirely and, and not really loving it. I, I was still chasing after that aha moment where everything starts to come together. Mm-hmm. And my son, who's now 16, uh, so this is a couple of years ago, he came to me and said, you know, mom, um, remember when we were in Italy and we were talking about what daddy's grandparents did during the war? And I'm wondering if it's true. And what he wanted to know about was uh, was a family story that that we had not learned uh, until it, we'd only learned it very recently. Uh, it was on a trip to Italy uh, coming up five years ago uh, when my husband and I were sitting and talking with his aunt uh, who still lives in the this little town in Northern Italy called San Zanone, where my mother-in-law and father-in-law uh, were born. Um, they came to Canada in the 1950s, but they, they grew up in Italy and most of the family is still there. And, in, over the course of a conversation that I only kind of partially understood because I, I understand Italian, well, sort of okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand, actually, I'm more likely to understand dialect, their local dialect than, than proper Italian. Um, but I was able to make out what they're saying. And at some point in the conversation, my husband was, was asking his aunt, uh, who's now in her late 80s, about what it was like growing up uh, during the war and and what her experiences were. And out of the blue, she started talking about um, uh, her, her how her father, her mother and father, but it was her father who uh, kind of was the driving force, how they hid um, people in their house um, 
from the Nazis. Mm -hmm. And so we pressed a little bit and the people they hid were Jewish. They were Italians, uh, they were Jewish and they had to go into hiding once the Nazi occupation began in 1943. Mm -hmm. So of course, I still remember just sitting there being absolutely flabbergasted because I'd been part of my husband's family for almost 20 years at that point. And I thought, I, how, how is it we never talked about this? And both my mother-in-law and father-in-law have, have passed away. Uh, and it was not something they ever mentioned to me. And they knew what I did for a living. Um, and so, you know, we started carefully asking questions. I mean, we're not going to put the thumb screws to his elderly aunt, right? You know, you have to, uh, you know, be sensitive and in, in in asking questions, um, if that if there's one thing I've learned from doing this work over the years is you can't just barge in like a rhinoceros on the rampage. I mean, you have to be very careful because bound up with people's memories of of wartime uh, is often quite a lot of trauma. Um, but from from Zia Maria, uh, we learned that uh, the local parish priest uh, in San Zanone had come to her parents and asked if they would offer shelter to a family that had to go into hiding. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said yes. And uh, so that family stayed with them for a while. And then she can remember at least two more families coming to stay. And they would stay for a while and then they would move on to another place. Just it was safer to kind of stay on the move uh, to Mm -hmm. a certain degree. And so with the information we, we, we got from her, which is pretty patchy, it was a long time ago, and she was, she was young when it happened, um, and really only herself had partial information. Mm-hmm. Um, I started doing a bit of digging, and I discovered that the local parish priest, uh, his name uh, was Father Odo Stoko, um, and he was a recognized by Yad Vashem. Uh, in 2010 for his valor in saving more than 50 uh, Italian Jews um, Mm. from deportation and what would certainly have been death uh, in in, uh, the death camps uh, in Mm. Poland. And so... So that was... That was fascinating. Um, it, it was incredible to learn that it wasn't enough for me. I've, I've not been able to reconstruct all the details, the, the names, so many names are lost. Most of the people involved have passed away. I'll never be able to come at it as if I were writing a work of, of historical, you know, nonfiction, mm-hmm. but it, I couldn't leave the idea alone. It just stayed with me. And the more I thought about it, the more I wanted to write a book from the perspective of one of the people who had to go into hiding, because mm-hmm. it just, it just tore at my heart, the idea that you would, that this imaginary person who who developed into my heroine, but that she would have grown up as an Italian, that's how she regarded herself, that was mm-hmm. her culture, her entire upbringing, she was Italian, um, as well as being Jewish. But suddenly she's told that because she's Jewish, she's not welcome. She's not wanted. She's mm-hmm. alien. And she has to, to go into hiding. And what must that feel like? And, and what would she have to do to survive? Bearing mm-hmm. in mind that the people who are pursuing her are powerful 
and relentless. Mm-hmm. And so that's the story of uh, that that was in the back of it was my family story that inspired me. Uh, the story itself of Antonina, my heroine, and and what happens to her during the war is 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 fiction, but it's it's grounded in truth, um, mm-hmm. and that's that's where all my books reside. It's in that intersection between the inspiration of real events. And then I, I, I layer on fiction on top of that. Um, so I'm not taking away from anybody else's story. Uh, I'm not uh, appropriating the story of say one of the people who, who found shelter with my husband's grandparents. I'm creating a new story, but I'm inspired by the truth. Um, and and that's where I feel most comfortable when when I'm writing historical fiction, uh, and and every writer has a different approach, and no approach is better than the other. That's just the the approach that I employ. I love this. Yeah, I feel like it was like unique enough um, for the reader to take on. You know, it's a World War II. It is a unique story, suddenly like as opposed to you know France and all these different places, and it was a unique like the whole idea of posing as a Christian wife, you mm-hmm. know, just to be hiding. And and that's really what people did. I mean, there's, there's countless stories of how people went into hiding. They were sheltered by their Gentile neighbors. Uh, they, uh, they, you know, were forced in, in public to pretend that they, uh, they were Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many cases, and that's certainly the case in, in, in my book, in Antonina's case, uh, there was absolutely no pressure whatsoever. Um, you know, there's, there is no question that she would ever convert uh, or, or become something other than what she was. And so she begins the book uh, as a Jewish woman and she ends the book as a, as a Jewish woman. That was very important to me that, that her, her, her true self, um, her true identity be preserved. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was something that, that a lot of people did now. And in some cases, unfortunately, regrettably, people were pressured into conversion. And that's been the story of the Jewish people for thousands of years of, of, of constant pressure. Um, and I really did not want that to even be an element in this book. I wanted uh, it to be clear that Antonina, uh, the, the people closest to her who shelter her, respect her for the person she is. Um, and certainly the evidence shows that that Father uh, Father Stoko did not pressure people uh, to convert. He 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 sheltered them because they were fellow human beings. Yes, I think that's the beauty of it. You know? Yeah, and it's it's just you know the you know I am you know very moved by the valor, um, the selflessness of people like. Uh, Father Stoko and the people in San Zanone, among them my husband's grandparents, who, who really risked everything um, to shelter people who, who were effectively strangers. They were strangers in the beginning, not by the time that, that they they left, but initially they were strangers. Um, that I found very moving, but I I found the story that was most compelling for me uh, as a storyteller was the story of the the people who had to go into hiding um, because they were the people with everything to lose who were and they were the people who were in the the mo- you know 
the the danger was just so so deep um it just surrounded them it, you you would just you you would breathe it in with the air if that makes any sense and uh and just how did people manage to survive because the, the you know in italy there were just something approaching uh, 40,000 uh italian jews at the beginning of the war Mm-hmm. And most of them survived, which is very much not the case with places mm-hmm. like Poland uh, or Germany or France. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the, it's a complicated story of what happened to um, uh, Italy's Jews during the war. It's, it's complicated. It's not straightforward. I think maybe that's one of the reasons it hasn't um, been the focus of much fiction over the years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, more and more people are, are turning to Italy um, for the stories they tell. Mm-hmm. And certainly my book is only one of a number of books that are coming out over the next year or so uh, that have uh, Italy as the setting. Italy in World War II is the setting uh, mm-hmm. for their stories. So I, it, I'm just, I, I feel fortunate. I'm kind of at the beginning of, <laughs> of the wave, but uh, there, there are more stories to come for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, I realized um, I read World War II somewhat infrequently because it's like that I study. That's what was my, when I went to college, I was like, my, my area of focus was World War II. And so it's interesting. Like, I was like, I realized I was like, you're probably like one of the few Italy books that I read. Like there are more on the way, like, uh, you know, there, I can, I can think of, of several. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I think it's also the case that, that you know, other uh, theaters of the war have, mm-hmm. have, are, are being mined fairly, you know, thoroughly for stories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but readers are still interested in hearing stories of World War II. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's no sense that, that World War II is going to be and become an, an old or tired subject anytime soon. So, of course, we... We we were looking farther and farther afield, and and to areas that that deserve more attention. I mean, I would love to read about what was going on in North Africa during the war, what was happening in Asia. Um, there are relatively few stories published uh, in English in North America talking about what happened uh, in the Second World War in Asia, for example, and 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 you know, each, each month we see uh, the, the focus kind of widening uh, and moving away from, you know, the more typical uh, uh, stories that are focused in Britain. I mean, I've, um, one, one of my previous books, Good Night from London is set during World War II and it, it takes place in almost entirely in, in Britain. Um, and of course, France and, and Germany and Poland, but um, and, and there will continue to be stories uh, published uh, and appreciated about um, uh, the war and what happened in, in, in those countries. But it is nice to see the, the focus widening um, because, you know, they're just, this war is, is, I mean, for something that was so terrible mm-hmm. and has had such long reaching and long lasting repercussions on the world. Um, at the same time, there are some very, I, I guess, beautiful stories coming out of this war. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful in the sense that we see uh, humankind, uh, you know, in its finest uh, moments, uh, even as it's battling uh, humankind in its darkest moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's that contrast 
that makes people so interested, uh, how people can still retain their, their essential humanity, their essential goodness, even when faced against um, unutterable evil. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, what fascinates so many of us. Yeah, I love this. So what are you working next? So I've, I've moved away from, uh, I've taken a little break from World War II. And in fact, I've moved forward in time just a little bit. Um, I won't be writing contemporary fiction anytime soon. <laughs> um, but my next book is is called Coronation Year. Uh, my next book after <laughs> Our Darkest Night, I should add. Um, <laughs> it's called Coronation Year. Uh, it's set in 1953. And it's set in a small hotel. Uh, one of those little hotels that, you know, it's not... Uh, it's not part of a chain of any description. It's just a little uh, quirky uh, hotel where the kind of place that you discover by accident and then you end up going back to stay there again and again. And it's about the people who live in the hotel and uh, and the effect that, uh, uh, it, how should I put it? The hotel is very unexpectedly on the route uh, for the coronation procession uh, when the queen, still the queen, but when the young Queen Elizabeth II is crowned on the 2nd of June, 1953. And of course, London is uh, absolutely wall to wall with people who want uh, a a view of the coronation procession. And this little hotel, uh, you know, is, is in the front row as it were. So there's, there's that part of it. And then there's also uh, a, a bit of an element of suspense because uh, there are some people who, who um, want to disrupt the proceedings um, and possibly even uh, mount an attack on the coronation uh, uh, procession. And the characters in my book are really the only people who can stop it. So that's what I'm working on now. And I hand the manuscript in in the summer and it will be coming uh, to readers I think in the middle of let's say 2022 which Mm -hmm. seems so far away but really is only about a year and a half Mm -hmm. possibly a bit farther away We'll we'll see we'll see how quickly I can write over this what's going to be a very long and cold winter oh my gosh I'm so excited I love that you're taking us to different time periods and it's like, and you had the gown, which is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I keep, I'm moving forward incrementally. And I think yeah. 1953, to be honest, is about the latest I want to go. Okay. Um, and then I'll probably cycle back to the turn of the century or say World War One again. Um, Field of you know, is a good time, by the way. <laughs> you know? Well, and it's, you know, it's, it's, um, there's, there's, I, the thing is, I, I say, oh, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Really, I don't know. I have coronation year lined up and I have a few other vague ideas. But quite often, the best ideas for my books are the ones that take me kind of by surprise, mm-hmm. uh, such as the idea for Our Darkest Night or even the idea for The Gown, which kind of came out of nowhere um, and was really just my wanting to know what happened, what life was like in Britain after the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then trying to find a way to tell the story that wasn't completely depressing. <laughs> and I found it, of course, because, you know, uh, royal weddings are just innately cheerful things. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the point where the the, the fun of the royal wedding uh, met the, the gloom of post-war life. That's, that's where I found my story. 
I love this. I love that you're finding intersections of, of an inspiration at the same time, something that brings you joy and something that does have some gloom around it, but it's like there's joyful moments. And yeah. Yeah. Well, nobody wants a book where the entire book is soaked in like what feels like maple syrup, right? Uh, yeah. Since I'm Canadian, I'll use that analogy. And But nobody wants a book at the same time that's just so gloomy and miserable that, that it, it's just an effort to get through. Certainly now. I mean, I just, I really, I've been uh, turning to books that feel hopeful. Um, and, and that's what I want people to take away from our darkest night mm -hmm. is that it, there are, there are tough moments in the book, anything written about the Holocaust or World War II is going to, there's going to be tough moments, but it is ultimately a story of hope. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think that's what I want to read right now. And I'm hoping that others agree. Yes. I love this. So now let's go to write a book recommendation. It's an opportunity for you to share with the audience what they should read next. What is so. It? Oh, I was going to say, so we, we were, were talking earlier about, about other books set in Italy. Um, and, and fair warning that the author is a, is a friend of mine. Uh, and I, uh, I have uh, what we call, what we say, blurbed the book, mm -hmm. um, offered uh, my recommendation um, for it. The book is called Courage, My Love. It's by Kristen Beck, B-E-C-K. Uh, it comes out in April of 2021, mm -hmm. and it is set in Italy during World War II, uh, but it is set uh, in Rome, uh, so more or less at the opposite end of the country from where Our Darkest Night is set. Um, very different story, wonderful story. Um, and I'll tell you, I was so drawn in by the story that when I finished it, I emailed Kristen and said, uh, well, I told her how much I loved it, but I also said, you know, do you have Italian family members? Is, is your background Italian? Um, because I could swear that you grew up in, Itali in an Italian family or, or, or part of an Italian family. Um, just because the way that she uh, depicts Italian women is so beautiful, so heartfelt, um, so loving. Uh, it is not that, you know, these are not stereotypical, you know, Italian nonas. These are really rounded, fascinating, um, complicated characters. And they were so true to life. Um, and it turns out she, she has lived in Italy, but she's not part of an Italian family. This is just a uh, testament to her abilities as a writer. I was, I was very, very impressed by this book. And, I, and it, it stuck with me for a long time after I finished reading it. So I, I really recommend it. So Courage, My Love by Kristen Beck uh, coming out in April. I love this. Thank you, Jennifer. You're um, welcome. Tell us where you can find you online. So my website, which I'm tr uh, trying to update, and it's it's it, I'm getting there, uh, is jennifer-robson.com. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at author Jennifer Robson, all squished together. Um, and and you know I love going on Instagram because I love sharing you know, pictures, uh, of, you know, from drawn from my research, mm -hmm. uh, some of my cooking projects, not all always successful. Um, there's lots of dog and cat pictures as well. Um, my animals do love to pose for pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, when I, when I travel their pictures, uh, there won't, 
be travel pictures for a while. Um, but, you know, uh, I do plan on sharing more pictures uh, from my my visits to Italy so that people can see the places uh, and the people that inspired our darkest night. I love this. Thank you, Jen, for, for being in the show. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to share with friends, subscribe, rate, and review the show. This is the easiest way to support this podcast. Once you connect with fellow women's readers and make new friends, get weekly recommendations, attend monthly meetups, then join our Patreon community. You can join at whatrainexblog.com slash Patreon. Romance lovers, check out Queen Bee Reads Etsy shop for cute and comfortable bookish apparel. The shop also features social justice apparel and fun items from some of your favorite TV shows like The Shit Scrakes and The Office. Use code WHATREAD10 to save. Visit whatrainexblog.com slash queenbeereads. What to Read Next podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Discover new podcasts to love on frolic.media slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.